UX Podcast, episode 40. Listening to UX Podcast brought to you from Stockholm, Sweden. For people passionate about balancing business, technology, and users within the realm of digital media. Helping you break down silos, here are your hosts, James Royal Lawson and Pear Axeboom. Hello, and welcome to UX Podcast, episode 40. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Aligning well with your age, James. Yeah. Not yours yet, <laughs> but mine. <laughs> You're listening to me, Pat Axbom. And me, James Roy Lawson. And uh, finally, it's spring in Sweden. Finally. Officially. Yeah, officially. And yeah. I, I think it's actually quite warm. And my bike is out, and uh, mm. the sun is shining right now. Your apple tree is looking good, James. Thank you. I still have another third one. Okay. <laughs> but that's because I've got a new kitchen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you've been living in the studio. Yeah. You've been living in the studio for two weeks. <laughs> A month. It's almost a month. Really? Mm. Oh wow. Yeah. It's been quite fun. It's been like it's been like a holiday that we've we've moved to the other house. Mm. So everyone mm. thinks oh the kids are really excited. Yeah. And they're excited to go back now as well though. So there's actually a bed on the floor beside us when we're sitting on the sofa here. There is. <laughs> yeah. So my daughter's been sleeping. <laughs> so today uh, we've got a link show lined up for you. Uh, mm. do we have some Something to say about the last episode. We had Jesper on. It was really yeah, fun. Yeah, it was fun for us, and it seems like it was fun for other people too. Yeah, we got lots of comments about people saying that they really enjoy that show. So Yeah, he's a clever guy. Yeah. I think I mentioned that. <laughs> yeah, he is. Really taken, taken away by him, actually. Uh, I just wanted to do a shout-out to Tom Nez as well, because he, he mentioned us on Twitter, and he was going to download some episodes. And uh, I don't know where he was driving. Well, no, he he was doing he a road trip. Sit, but he was going yeah. to do a six-hour drive yeah. for the weekend. So Tom Nez from Pittsburgh. Yeah, I hope, yeah. hope that went well. Yeah, I said to I tweeted to him, don't crash. Cause, yeah. I, mean, I, said, I was hoping he didn't download White Rabbits. Oh, yeah. Because I don't think you should listen to that while driving. That's a, that's a crazy uh, <laughs> intro to that episode, actually. <laughs> Yeah. Which I'm going to add as my ringtone, which we'll see how I'm that looking happens. forward to that. I don't know how you're going to work that one. But, uh. <laughs> so we got three articles lined up today, and uh, let's just start out with the first one. What's that one, then? It's, it's uh, the cognitive overhead, or why your product isn't as simple as you think. Yeah. This is an article on TechCrunch from um, oh, last week. Yeah. Well, the weekend. And uh, it's written by David Lieb, and he's the co-founder and CEO of Bump. And What's Bump? Exactly. In, in the article, it says it's quite a popular app, and it's cool. been downloaded more than 130 million times. Hmm. Bump is a way of sharing your contact info with someone else. Ah. And I think I used this two years, three years back, and it seemed really cool. And the basic thing is, or the functionality is that two people have the app, you start the app, you bump your phones together, and the app realizes by GPS or location services that these phones are bumping and they're close to each other. They probably want to exchange the information. You have to add your personal information beforehand as well, of course. Yeah, smart idea. Smart idea. Well, we both know what we think of that. Uh, <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll get to that because <laughs> uh, we have something to, I mean, based on what, what you know, David Lieb actually is writing himself in this article. We have some things to say about bump. Uh, but I really enjoyed this. It's uh, yeah. it's a take on simplicity and and how we sometimes interpret simplicity in the wrong way. 
starting out by saying that just eliminating uh, or minimizing features on a sc- on screen does not necessarily make something more simple. Uh, no, exactly. Or minimizing the amount of time required to complete something right doesn't always make it simple. So he talks about in it in the term of cognitive overhead, which yeah. probably could be phrased differently as well. But it, basically, it means that your brain has to work harder to process something or to understand something, yeah. uh, or unnecessarily hard. You could basically make it sim- more simple. That's what the, yeah, when he's saying overhead, then yeah, that means you've, you've, you've put extra load yeah. um, on something. You could do things more efficiently right. with me- mental processes. Which we would call user experience then. Well, yeah, that was actually well, yeah, one what of you my said. reflections straight away <laughs> with this. Is that, well, it says cognitive oh. overhead, but mm. oh, that's, that's, quite, that's a complicated phrase. And, and mm. we're, you know, we're getting into neuroscience and, and psychology on a next step up here. And, um, and you know, we, we had a whole show half complaining about that user experience as a phrase was actually yeah. too complicated for mm. a lot of people to understand what it actually mm. meant. This is one step higher. Mm. Um, but um, yeah, so you could switch out what he writes about, mm. I think, in a lot of places, mm. just usability. Right. So, so one of the points he starts out making as well is that more and, peop- more, and more people are going online. Mm. Mm. Uh, 13 years ago, we had 50 million people online. Today, more than 5 billion people. Mm. I don't know where those numbers are coming from, but let's say they're true. Uh, and they, yeah, I think they're roughly right. They sound about right. I mean, it's the, around those areas, yeah. at least. So what he's saying is that there are more and more people who don't know how to use the internet who are actually going online and i'm guessing that smartphones and tablets are, are contributing to that as well so we need to make cognitive overhead less mm. uh, but at the same time as we're trying to minimize and make the interfaces more simple we're actually implementing we've talked about this as well like gestures and mm. and stuff like that we need that mm. to make things happen mm. and people aren't aware of them or they're not accustomed to mm. them and they're not used to, to interacting with an interface in that manner mm. if, you're, if you're not experienced. And uh, the people who are designing these, of course, have been using internet for like 15 the, years. Yeah. And the people who are going to be using the interface themselves have been using the internet for a lot less mm. and probably touch interfaces for a lot less as well. Yeah. A lot less time. Yeah, I, think we had yeah. a, I think when we discussed, it was the um, show, um, I think design trends or something. Then we talked about the, um, the hamburger, um, the use of the icon. Um, oh, yeah. It, yeah. Mm. Um, I mean, menu stuff and all these kind of, when, 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 I was when, does, become, when does something become ubiquitous? So ubiquitous yeah. that you actually can say, this is standard. Design mm. patterns that are mm. so widely accepted that you can just mm. roll them out. Um, and, and this is kind of mm. uh, part of that problem that we, uh, it's so difficult to, there, there isn't anything that's universal really. It's very mm. few things that are universal mm. because normal people are very normal. Right. I mean, I, I've just done a whole lot of user testing last week. Oh, yeah. Uh, Even eye tracking, right? Yeah. Last week. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I was doing some eye tracking yeah. user testing last week, usability testing last week. Um, and every time I do usability testing, it's the same thing. You get you get that kind of slap in the face and reminder of just how normal people are mm. compared to, to us little elite group of, 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 mm. of thinkers and one percenters and everything else who, who have a lot of understanding. Yeah. A lot it, of understanding. It, it is good doing user testing sometimes because, yeah. I mean... In in the normal world, I, I find it so hard sitting 
next to someone who's trying to use the internet, mm. and I'm, I get frustrated and just take over the keyboard and mouse <laughs> and do it for them. But in the user testing setting, I cannot do that. So oh, but it, it actually forces me to. I did it once last week. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was listening to the recordings to do the analysis, Ooh. and you can hear me. I, I went, some, some guy, he, he double clicked on something, and I go, oh, you double clicked. Uh, uh. Oh, and I kind of like half retracted myself. And then he, though, corrected me. He goes, well, you know, this is how it is. It's like this. You click wrong and go back and do stuff. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, put me in my place. You're right. So he, this is how it is. <laughs> so he was the expert. He was actually aware of it. He knew it happens. That's excellent. So, yeah, self-awareness. <laughs> but, so, but, so but, in, in, yeah, in, in the article, uh, he goes on to, to talk about some examples. Yeah. And one of the examples is something we talked about before as well. Yeah. Uh, one of our pet peeves, so QR codes. Yeah, anything we haven't talked about. <laughs> yeah. yeah, QR codes. Yeah. Which I, kinda, I still kind of like them. I know you do. Uh, I know. But and I, I kind of still don't. Yeah, but, but, but this is actually, but his point here about them is, mm. is one of the reasons why I'm, mm. I get, I've always been frustrated with QR codes mm. is that they could be so simple. In like, in, in, um, someone out there they can correct the me if I'm wrong, but yeah. in, in Korea and, and some of the um, Asian countries where they have been really popular and really mm. in use, there they've simplified, they've, they've reduced the cognitive mm. overhead because the apps are built in. You don't mm. need to download an app. They come mm. on the phone. Mm. You don't need to kind of think so much about how to scan it. You just do. And, and there's whole groups it's of people all out built there in, yeah. who, who, who've known how to do QR codes mm. now for five, six years. Yeah. So it's become... Really, quite. It's simple. all this discussion about <coughs> interfaces having to be intuitive. Well, they they are intuitive once you've been using them for a couple of years. Yeah. So intuition is not something that comes <laughs> first offhand when you start using an interface for the first time. Yeah. Uh, the point he's making, but you sort of touched on it, is that there are so many steps to, yeah. to actually scanning a QR code. The problem with a QR you, code isn't the QR code; to, it's yeah. the fact you don't have an app installed. Yeah. I don't know which app it is. I don't even understand what the code is. Um, right. But the, oh, you could make it so much simpler. Mm. Um, yeah. Without throwing out QR codes, mm. but it hasn't happened in Europe, and oh, so. Mm. But it's a good. It is a good example of how um, the process is. I think what it says here. Um, so it's a barcode. No, it's a website. Well, okay, but I open websites with my web browser, not my camera. So I take a picture of it. What? No, I take a picture of it with an app. Which app? Oh, yeah. I mean, no, that's an example of a little mm. flow that might happen in your head when mm. you're confronted by a QR code. Mm. That's that is quite a complicated series. And of also. Unfortunately, the frustration of realizing that when you scan the QR code, it takes you to the website the with website the URL, yeah, yeah, or with, <laughs> to the URL that's printed next to the yeah. to the QR code, yeah. which you could have used anyway. Yeah. Uh, so the frustration <laughs> of that, of course, leads to people not really yeah. expecting QR oh, then, codes. They would definitely need to use experience rather than right. cognitive load. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, iCloud, the iCloud example was actually, I think, better. Perhaps, iPods. perhaps. Have you have you any experience? I mean, you don't use iOS products. No, well, I do. Mm. We've got an iPad, yeah, um, and my wife's got an iPhone. Um, so I'm kind of close mm. right. to them in a little mm. way, but I'm not a regular user. Yeah. Um, but iCloud on the iPad, I, I don't really use it because it complains constantly that I don't mm. have enough storage space, and I'm not paying for iCloud mm. storage. I don't, I've got I've got Dropbox and I've got Amazon S3. Right. I'm not interested in iCloud, so it nags me constantly mm. that I've I've got not enough space. And the um, example is also about PhotoStream, uh, which is the feature where if you take if you take a yeah. photo uh, with your iPhone, mm. it it's automatically added to your iPad. Yeah, if you want, or if if you don't turn oh, it right, off. Yeah, Android does that as well. Or mm. Google Plus, or, or yeah, uh, yeah. But it's not really the interface for understanding how that works and how many pictures mm. are actually mm. done. It, interestingly enough, I actually got a tweet the other day from somebody asking me about how to disable the sharing of photos in Dropbox mm. and. 
after talking her f- to her for a while, I realized, well, that's not Dropbox, that's PhotoStream. And she wasn't even aware of the feature. And she, oh. she thought it was after she installed Dropbox that that this, happened. This is one of the biggest problems facing us. Now, I'm, uh, oh, uh, me, me and my wife talk about this quite a lot because she gets very frustrated um, about how, how things are so complicated now and how she wishes it was mm. as simple as it used to be. The, the normal example is with, um, with TV stuff. Mm. Before, we used to have a, an analogue, a fat screen TV, an analogue TV, mm. cathode ray tube television and he used to pick up the the radio signals coming in across the air and there was here in sweden anyway there was two or three channels depending right. on when you how old you are um and it worked you press a button on your tv you got a tv channel it didn't crash mm. you didn't have to restart <laughs> it you know you, you you didn't need to put a card in the machine the right way around yeah. connect to something else you mm. didn't have to make sure your wireless internet was working that you'd you know you subscribe to several apps um it, it was it was it was simple there was a couple of things involved in you as a consumer consuming television yeah now it's it's horrendously complicated and every it's new awful. device makes mm. it more complicated and mm. and i think it's it's supposed to be one of our biggest failures oh i think we used that phrase before but it is one of the biggest failures we've got is just mm. how complicated Consuming media has become I, I, I for totally normal agree. people. Yeah. I mean, she she's ready to throw things into the mm. wall sometimes mm. when that you know digital box crashes again. Mm. Mm. Well, I, I got my wife finally interested in television again when, <laughs> when I got Netflix for her. Yeah, so that was like one interface. Touch the movie and it starts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I've, I, my wife watches a fair bit of TV on the iPad now as well. Yeah. But the frustration there, of course, is the streaming. That sometimes yeah, sometimes it, it lags. Stream, yeah? yeah, and I get the question: Oh, why is it not working? <laughs> of course, it's your fault. Well, it could be. <laughs> yeah. This is the thing. Yeah, it could be. You know, we've got so many yeah. points because yeah. you know it could be any point of failure across the whole way. Is oh, it yeah. from is it from the iPad to my router? Yeah. Is it from the router to my gateway, hmm. or is it my broadband provider? Is it any point in their network, hmm. or is it the you know, the provider themselves, I've got, you know, there's a list of like 10 or 11 places mm. where the problem is. So, so as far as cognitive load goes, yeah, watching TV now on a streaming service mm. can be incredibly mm. demanding, um, especially if you need to start um, problem searching. Right. Pro- searching for, you know, working out um, why something not doing as it yeah. expected. Like you said with the photo stream, mm. um, that kind of thing. Problem solving now, or at least mm. working out what's, what's going on, what's the issue, right. is, is very complicated. And that's actually one of the points he's trying to make. It's if you make it automated, you're not involved in the process, yeah. which means it's harder to actually understand what's going on behind the scenes. So it's harder to solve and understand and appreciate what's, what's yeah. actually going so on. So to reduce cognitive load, he's mm. saying things have to be fail-safe. Yeah. You have to have something that is is not only simple in a classic sense of simple, but um, 100% reliable. Mm. That I know that Dropbox is always going to back up my files. Right. I know that this digital TV box is always going to show me my TV programs. Mm. If if there's any doubt, then I'm going to increase my cognitive load because I'm going to be constantly suspicious or expecting right. it's going to fail. Right. What can I do to stop it failing? Mm. What have I got as a backup? I mean, it's like you carry around a 4G router exactly. because you don't trust people's Wi-Fi. Right. You don't trust the, no. the various networks. So I you don't trust 3G. <laughs> no. And I, I do the same as well. I have a 4G router yeah. as well that I carry around. <laughs> yeah. But you know, we've, we've actually built in contingency yeah. into our routines because we don't trust certain things. Who can't rely on it? Oh. Excellent point. Making our yeah. lives more complicated mm. because it's already unreliable and complicated. <laughs> So he does uh, have some uh, examples of, of, of good ones as well, which would be 
uh, Shazam, the one, the oh, app where you. I've always liked that. Uh, yeah, I always loved it as well. Yeah. You just hold it up to yeah. record some, uh, just a few seconds of music, mm. and it tells you what what song it is. Playing. I remember that about five years ago. I, think yeah. I first tried Shazam on a Sony Ericsson device, I think, right. and it just just been blown away by how it worked. It is I crazy. I, spent, I think I spent an mm. evening in the sofa with MTV mm. on, and mm. just just you know, clicking, mm. recording clips of songs, and it mm. was just working. Yeah. But that's also an example of, of, of a minimal interface mm. uh, and something that is automated. Mm. So mm. he's sort of speaking against himself here. But, but, but it's mm. of um, very specific use. That's the other thing. They've, they've narrowed the use exactly. case down to a mm. single task. Mm. So you, you know when to use it, situations that are you know, mm. relevant to use it, and the steps mm. in the process are very limited as well. So you've, mm. you've made your world small, so you've got less chance of going wrong. True, true. Um, but I'm a- I'm actually working on a blog post about to-do uh, apps because mm. there are like mm. hundreds and hundreds yeah. of to-do apps on, mm. on the App Store, mm. and why why is that? And they all work differently, and it's mm. a single task application, mm. uh, and that's really interesting as well. How, how yeah. hard can you actually make it? I'm not going I'm not going to answer. Yeah. I'm not going to yeah. chip in now because that could be an entire episode that we talk about to-do. It could be. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Got a lot of things to say yeah. about that. And we need to before we move on. We need to actually say something about Bump itself. Uh, which yeah. does create a, a lot of cognitive overhead. I'm disappointed he didn't have it as an example in his own article. Yeah, right, mm. because it means that people, two people have to install the same app. Uh, so usually, I, that was my experience when I used it. Mm. It was, yeah, I have bumped. You want to exchange information? Yeah, how do I do that? You have to download this app first. Yeah. And then we spend, instead of talking to each other and just exchanging business cards or just exchanging Twitter info, yeah. we, we start downloading an app and he has to search for the app and make, write information there and it's just it's, a QR it's too code. hard yeah. it's the same as the QR yeah. code example you've, mm. you've got to know so much in advance to make it work mm. that it becomes really complicated mm. so I'm wondering all those downloads of Bump I mean how many people are actually using it because well, I've been to so many conferences now I never see it well, he doesn't say how many uninstalls there were <laughs> no that's true <laughs> so 130 million um, mm. installs mm. well 129 mm. million uninstalls. And I do, we also, <laughs> wow, we're spending a lot of time on this article we here, are. but that's fine. <laughs> uh, I can't see the clock now. You've, you've turned your computer exactly. away from me. It's a power thing. Uh, he has some, some points in, at the end of the article as well. And we, I think we should spend some time oh, about the yes. one with, uh, yeah, he says, slow down your product. Mm. And uh, my instant reaction here, when you said, yeah. we, we were going through this before, mm. and you said, mm. slow down your product. Oh, oh, but you know, I'm, I'm constantly nagging. Mm to tell people to speed up well their websites right because uh, we're talking about mobile interfaces yeah. and we're talking about slow Conversion connections and, mm. getting, well, and, and I had the example stuff. of the uh, forms because mm. what I've seen is that when people use web forms and they fill in information and they submit mm. there's always this doubt speaking again about I mean is it fail safe yeah. I mean forms have failed so many times online yeah. so you're wondering did it work did it go away yeah Where's, where's the confirmation? Because yeah. it sends so fast, you're wondering, was that too fast? <laughs> Something wrong. So I'm actually, on one of the forms I built, I, I added a loader screen that shows something, well, for less than two seconds, but it's mm. just something that confirms something's going on here, something's working. Mm. And that... The elves are uh, uh, taking your piece of paper right, and that little, the, like, little, little animation with the loader, mm. that puts focus on where your, where your eyes are supposed to be. So mm. that's where the message pops up and mm. says... Nice. Yeah. Your message has been sent. You can you can start breathing again. Yeah. 
it's all it's all fine and that that's mm. a, i think it's a really good example yeah. of when slowing down is good because i've seen mm. that in when doing eye tracking and eye tracking of four right um a, a lot of normal people look at the keyboard when they're typing mm. so so with eye tracking it's quite obvious because mm. you lose your eye tracking mm. it, they're filling the form and it just you know doesn't get your fixations anymore because mm. you're not looking at the screen mm. and then they fill it all in and they get to mm. the end they they um, click enter mm. or they click on the submit button but their their focus isn't always on the mm. screen towards the end of the form mm. or if you, especially if you've got something that is just an enter or oh right one field mm. one field form mm. um, they don't look up the screen and they can look up at the mm. screen again after it's already submitted or mm. even after a message has come up mm. so mm. a delay there mm. I can see being actually quite relevant and important yeah. and I was actually working on a, on a search engine once uh, which was an external search engine being used embedded into a site and when you click the search button, the, sc- the screen went white. But you still had the like menu and navigation, but everything, the rest of it was white. And then it took like three seconds, four yeah. seconds, yeah. before the search results actually were loaded. Mm. And th- I mean, this made people crazy because they were wondering, it's not working, it's, oh. it's, something's wrong with the search. And so the people uh, owning the site, of course, they started the investigation into how can we make the search faster. Mm. While I was arguing that your biggest feedback. problem is not that the search is slow. The biggest problem is that you're not giving the user any feedback yeah. while they're waiting. Yeah. So if you had just added the loader screen there, that mm. would be probably be fine. Well, yeah. for a while at least. I mean, you, you'd, you'd want it. Yeah. yeah, but that would be a very quick fix. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Quicker than speeding up probably. Yeah. But, <laughs> but speeding up would still be good. Yes. So. <laughs> No, it's all right. I, I, uh, good article. Yes. Um, I think, mm. um, yes, we could maybe not necessarily use cognitive overhead as a, as a phrase we want to push there. I mm. think you could do it easily with user experience or usability. Yeah. And get much of the same points. I totally agree. Mm. <laughs> Moving on. Time Moving for the jingle. Yes. And this is an article you found. Well, it's not an article, actually. It's a phenomenon. It's a... About, yeah, it's about something you've written an article about before. The and we've actually had a whole show about. Yeah. Well, yeah, we had that as well. well. Yeah, the EU cookie law. Yeah, and what should be done on websites to actually uh, con- comply conform to or yeah, yeah comply to to the law. Uh, to, to recap a little bit here, this is the mm. this is the EU um, um, law, I suppose you could call it, um, that says that we should we need to declare or at least ask consent. Um, before um, just storing cookies on people's computers, yeah. the law varies from country to country in the European Union. So it's it's a real mm. nightmare of a thing trying to work out what you need to do because it's mm. the it's the it's the law of the country that your visitor is in that mm. counts, not where your website's hosted. So it's a very complex um, mm. thing. It, most countries aren't aren't doing anything to to kind of slap you really hard for for non-compliance, right? Um, because oh because they just haven't got the resources for it. Um, but a, a lot of companies, especially like, a little bit larger ones, are implementing solutions because their legal teams are saying, you know, well, we don't want to risk not right. trying to comply. Especially governmental sites. Yeah, yeah. governmental sites were the first ones on. Yeah. But even some of the bigger ones, um, I mean, here in Sweden, Ericsson has, um, has also implemented right. these days. So there's some, there's some big international sites mm. that have, have, have done it as well. Um, but none of, the, none of the massive ones. Mm. Now, Facebook has not bothered... Um, do anything about this yeah. and you know the, the giants have ignored yeah. it completely until now until now and if you have not seen it uh, Google has implemented uh, sort of a short text that pops up when you search for something and our American listeners won't have seen this because oh, exactly. it's, yeah, it's, it's not shown it, yeah. to, to it's not shown worldwide it's just EU so right. if you find yourself a proxy and you know 
if play you around want to see it. if you want to see it or, yeah. or find some screenshots or yeah. ask me and I'll send you some <laughs> right <laughs> uh, so, so the article that we found or that you found James is saying that well now Google is taking this seriously like t- two years after the fact yeah uh, then probably we all should be doing this this, is a, this is a really big step forward in this mm-hmm. whole um, area in that there aren't too many websites that are bigger than Google search because mm-hmm. it's the search results that have, have now implemented this um, I'm not sure they've implemented any other products, but it's it's on the it's on the first page of Google. If you go to Google, well, Google.co.uk or .se or whichever country you're in, at the very bottom of the screen there is a little banner. You you would have noticed it. They've, yeah. they've hidden it. <laughs> all this kind of you know, UX yeah. and design stuff. Um, they've hidden it right at the bottom, mm. um, telling you that they use cookies and you can oh, click a continue button if you want, um, and that stays there the whole time. Every time you go to it, until you t- click continue. Yeah, and then when you search for something. Uh, above, oh, I suppose, in the position where the, the sponsored ads would normally be, mm. right at the top, um, high, you know, the, the prime permission, permission, um, position, you could say, yeah. they've also written the same cookie thing, saying, we're using cookies, mm. here's some more information about it, click here to continue. When did they actually start doing this? Uh, oh, it, it, started, it started rolling out um, a week or so, a couple of weeks ago, I think now. Because I realised uh, I, I hadn't seen it. <laughs> no, well, you, won't, you possibly won't have seen it. Um, well, I always search. No, well, maybe y- because my. It's, you might not, you I realized even, even though I am it. in Sweden, I, I was re- redirecting to Google dot com, uh-huh. and it was not showing there. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, it might be. It might be to do with which network you're on or yeah. where you're working and so on. But, um, but it, it rolls out. These things sometimes take a couple of weeks to appear because mm. you know Google, like Facebook, they're massive sites. Yeah, and they don't. True. They don't just press a button and release new code to the whole world in one go. Yeah. So, um, so basically, mid-April is when I think they started to mm. appear, um, and um, and uh, well, now we've got one of the world's biggest sites putting up a cookie warning and, mm. and asking to continue. Um, th- this this is something I think we all need to look at and think. Well, now now a lot of people are going to be seeing this, and, and even the regulators are going to start to see this, mm. and um, it could be good in the sense that this is implied consent solution that google google have implemented yeah. whereas they're they're carrying on using cookies they're not changing their behavior with cookies whatsoever but now they're putting an open declaration that says we are using mm. we are storing some of your data mm. um so you know mm. um, and if you really want to know more about it then here's a few mm. things you can click on um you know, so trying to be reassuring, um, not changing their behaviour really, uh, as in no, technical behaviour, yeah. um, but trying to comply. Yeah. And trying to comply is often good enough. And I think in this situation it probably is. But get your own legal advice. Don't rely on me. Um, <laughs> the, the, the only thing bigger than this, I guess, is probably if Facebook did it. Yeah, that's true. Um, that would be bigger. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, there's a chance that might happen mm. now, given that Google has. Interesting. I don't really like the way they've implemented it as well, but I, I'm quite fond Google. of the, oh, yeah, the yeah. yeah. I'm quite a fond of the way uh, you mentioned BBC oh, to me before. It's my it's my mm. example that I use, and I, mm. I really like the way BBC have done it yeah. um, because they they have it um, so that you get it once. It's a one mm. show, once time show mm. um, banner you get when you visit BBC, um, and they it's really prominent. It's mm. quite large, um, links to all information mm. and the, the cookie audit and things. Um, but the next page you click on mm. doesn't have it, and it's gone then. Because they store cookies. The interesting thing about that one, though, is I would never have seen it because it's above the the normal site header, so it's a, right. quite a big message. It'd be banner blindness. I, mean, I, yeah. I wouldn't have seen it. No, you wouldn't have. You but wouldn't that have would, clicking on anywhere on the site would mean I've confirmed. Yeah. That's yeah. fine with me because I, I really hate the law anyway. I mean, exactly, it's, really it's compliance. It just gets. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one way of complying in a yeah. in a really 
good way yeah. that makes it really obvious to people who want to see if you're complying, yeah. but you're not bothering yeah. the users. I use an excellent solution. Yeah. So there we are then. For all of you out there that are coming to, well, you're working with um, compliance of the mm. cookie law, then you've got a really good example now in Google. And yeah, and news. one more argument for if you want to really uh, implement it in that yeah, way. Exactly. Yeah. Last one. Q jingle. I reckon we already had it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So this one is uh, by Ross Popoff Walker. Uh, oh, well, well done. And uh, I, I, th- I think you should really follow him on Twitter. I do, and uh, he, he puts some really good posts out there. Not only his own, but this is one that he's actually written uh, that made the rounds a few weeks back. It's actually, it's actually not new. This one, it's um, from January. I've just oh, re- that's true. I just realised now. <laughs> uh, he's probably been really good at just retweeting uh, older posts. Which oh, is, it's, it's just got legs. It's I another mean, it, strategy. It's keeping on going. But I, I'm, I'm sure I, I retweeted him. That's how I found it, and that was just a few I weeks ago. I think I got it from um, our friend um, Chris McCann. Letterpress. Really? On, okay. um, yeah, he got it for me. Letterpress, I see. He got it for me. Ah, of course, Poe. <laughs> We're just revolving around no, yeah, you. Exactly. We're just little planets yeah. around your son. <laughs> <sighs> I have no idea how he got it. No, you can't remember. Uh, anywho. <laughs> Why every startup needs a UX design advisor. Yeah. And uh, I, th- I remember your tweet about this, and you said, because uh, it says every startup, you said yeah. every company. I mean, yeah. Of course. Uh, I mean, I, I, I understand mm. why he's, mm. you know, you've, you've, you've taken subject and you get a nice catchy headline yeah. and so on. But, God, I mean, it, reading the article, you know, no, startup is just mm. unnecessarily limiting it. Mm. I even remember Ross's tweet about this, actually. We, he tweeted at, uh, something about, so you are the UX designer. Does that mean you make icons or whatever, or wireframes, something like that? Mm. And he said, no, stupid, I- I'm in the red circle. I do everything. Uh, I- <laughs> I'm going to find that tweet and post it uh, in the show notes. I do everything. Uh, and basically, that's what it is. That's what we're doing. Yeah. And that's what he's saying. That's a really good, a nice diagram. Uh, probably missing, again, psychology. People always want to add new stuff. Uh, but the points he's making about how important it is to have someone, it doesn't need to be called a UX design advisor. It could be called anything. Exactly. It's just a person responsible for these areas uh, and the whole holistic view of, of the product or service. I, I think uh, what, what struck me about this and is, what's good about this is mm-hmm. it ties in exactly to the show we did about um, oh, the term user yeah. experience. And what we talked about then was how you do need someone who can be broad and keep the eye, keep, you know, keep everything in tow right because it's so it's so diverse is this um you can't expect oh so, you can't expect everyone to do everything um and the holistic ux approach is absolutely critical yeah uh this actually got me thinking though about about ux yesterday i've been starting working with a terminologist uh, and for a term to uh, be this a, someone this hold on this is this is someone that works full full time with Phrases, yeah. phrases, and what things yeah, are called. Exactly, and I'm, oh, I'm currently working with health services and yeah. actually uh, cognitive behavioral therapy over the internet. And and, and there are so many phrases uh, in, in the healthcare that that people are just not uh, well. Oh. They're arguing about them, and, and they're not seeing them in the same way. And so you have to have all yeah. these manuals and stuff, and you have these 
even organizations that work with giving out folders with glossaries about the mm. phrases that should be used and what they actually mean mm. in certain contexts. Uh, and I remember her saying something about how this all works. And it usually is within like a, a closed community, like the UX community. Mm. But for a term to be used like UX, because I asked her about it, I mean, it really should be very well defined within mm. the community to mm. actually be mm. To be, to, be going, to be mainstream. Yeah. yeah. But the interesting thing about UX, of course, is, as we've talked about before, <laughs> yeah. is that it's not. No. It's not a, something that we're all in, in agreement upon what it means, and uh, no. we haven't really decided. No. And quickly. And if quickly you call yourself a UX designer or a UX strategist or UX exactly. whatever, yeah. uh, does not mean the same thing as when somebody else calls no. them that, no. that. It diverges very quickly mm. from, mm. Well, from one definition. Which means that in, in Ross's uh, article, I think you should think about what he's saying about what types of, of uh, competencies that he's talking about and not not just talk, think about it uh, from a UX perspective because hmm. uh, there are lots of different roles that could actually take take on these uh, tasks as well. So basically, we, we, we've almost completely ripped apart his title of this. So we're saying, <laughs> yeah. well, you know, doesn't have to be limited to startups and doesn't actually need to be called UX design advisor. Yeah. So, so basically, why every thing needs a thing? <laughs> all right i'm being mean we're good at this oh. <laughs> i think i think i think people have got the point mm. <laughs> no it's um mm. i was i just lost the well, well he is actually in, in the text is. i was being a bit unfair to him i mean in the circle he should have added psychology but in the text he talks about that it spans across many domains from visual design to cognitive psychology and technology yeah uh so we're we're in total agreement with ross although yeah. we Tour part is title there, uh, but even that we're in agreement about. We just yeah. we just see the um, you know, the, the, the way you the could broaden it. Facets of exactly, it. yeah. And the whole thing with visual design is, I mean, it brings that up again that we face constantly. That mm. UX in many ways has, has become this um, a substitute for um, mm. interaction designers, mm. and then people say, "I want a UX designer," mm. and they expect a, a wireframe monkey, right? Um, sadly, and he's saying also in the article, perhaps UX designer is just now a misnomer or the wrong label. Yep, because uh, it's used to describe so many different things. Yep, hmm. we're destroying. Uh, this is uh, interesting here as well. That there was a. I remember a few years ago. Hmm. Now I'm leaping a little bit now. Um, a few years ago, I remember a, a conversation between me and uh, well, several people who are working hmm. a lot with intranets, um, talking about the the, the term intranet mm. um, and pushing this is when we're starting to kind of realise that the term digital workplace was coming up a bit more and mm. m- maybe that was going to take over from intranet mm. um, and I was arguing well you know I think an intranet's going to stay for a long time because it's quite defined and people understand what that is and so on Right. but in the conversations it came up a lot of discussion around how um, the, the term intranet has become infected in a lot of organisations, it's mm-hmm. seen as a thing that doesn't work. It's seen, but it's not seen by management as a useful mm-hmm. tool. It's seen as that IT thing over there, right? Um, so, so there's a big debate about how maybe we need to to, so to try to, and so stamp now, out. So now people are talking about social intranets. They so were talking about digital workplace. <laughs> so this conversation said yeah. about how maybe we should mm-hmm. push even harder mm-hmm. for digital workplace mm-hmm. and tone down intranet because intranets are poisoned. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was, I was not in the bandwagon that said discuss digital workplace. I think they're two separate entities really mm. oh they're related but they're not mm. the same they're not replacements for each other but here this is a similar kind of thing though that we're talking about now maybe with ux or ux designers or ux design mm. if it is a misnomer and and uh, if we are polluting it we're, we're destroying 
the, the, the little essence of agreement we have about what it is, we're risk now destroying by the way it's being pushed or adopted yeah. by recruiters, by certain management yeah. and, and project leaders and so on mm. about what they need, not really lining up with what we're giving. Exactly. <laughs> Very well put, I think. Uh, and we have talked about this uh, yeah, a lot, mm. uh, about us being generalists and, mm. and actually being the people who know, understand the technology, who understand the different well, ingredients that need to go into the mix. And we're perhaps not an expert in every area, but we know enough. No, you still need the experts. Yeah. You still need the specialists. Exactly. But we, need, we know when to bring in the specialists. Yeah. Uh, when that's relevant. Mm. So the, the key there and is... Which experts need to be brought in. Yeah, and that's, the, and that's the key thing there with people in organizations and so on that maybe they don't quite know exactly mm. when or what to look out for and when to, mm. who to bring in. Mm. Oh, as, as somebody, I realized somebody just the other day posted uh, on my wall on Facebook saying that just because they had a, had a review of a project mm. and they realized that one of the success factors of the project was having a UX designer involved from the get-go till the end. And that was one of their conclusions. So he thought he'd share that with me. Oh. And I thought it was really interesting. That was one that, and I think that the full more, cycle feedback they give at the end. Yeah. Oh, and I cool. think more and more people are realizing Yeah, that. absolutely. Because they're seeing the benefit. Mm. The scene, the the the, the pro, well, the, yeah. the the extra advantage of having people involved mm. early on in the in the game, and it's not just about the wireframes. Although I would say a lot of it is about wireframes, because in mm-hmm. the project I'm working in now, it's it's a project that has failed twice. Yeah, and this is the first time that they're bringing wireframes into the mix, and all of a sudden they have assets or something to talk about around. Instead of just long text documents, mm. or, or I'm going to I'm going to up your. Um, you, you, I think you're you're right, but I'm going to mm. up it and say it, it, not necessarily wireframes. Mm. It's about communication and visualizing. Of course, it, it is. It's about visualizing. Yes, about visualizing um, yeah. concepts and ideas mm. and and gain the point across. Because yeah. I'm not uh, and wireframes yeah. might well be the right tool in turn. Sometimes it is. Now I was talking about Bootstrap yesterday. I realized mm. yeah, let's, we need some for some of it. We need to make a prototype for that. Bootstrap is yeah. really good. And I've downloaded lots of icon sets with people, mm. and I draw these diagrams with people. And it's really important not to just have arrows, but have the people in there, because mm. that makes people realize, oh, yeah, we're actually influencing somebody. Somebody, has, somebody cares about the system yeah. and how it works in the end. Yeah. And just adding that makes a huge difference to yeah, adding the, the, the human element back in again. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> I think we're done. Yeah. What did we actually say about the article? Did we say anything about the article? <laughs> Felt like we're done. Yeah, I think so. No, we did. No, we did talk about. It. You talked yeah. about the um, uh, misnomer and yeah, UX design. It's a good article. And, and, um, and we're in the generalists. Um, I think we've covered most of it. And of course, as usual, we will be linking to all of the three articles we've discussed today yeah. in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can you can and should mm-hmm. read them yourself. Yes. And if you don't agree with what we've said, then please let us know. Yeah. You can actually let us know if you agree. And if you are well. a person who actually gives a damn about cookies and don't u- use a site because it has cookies, then let me know because I'm really interested in that. <laughs> oh, yep, get in touch. Give us some feedback. Yeah. Always nice to hear from you all. It is. Coming up next show. Oh, yep, show for, well, episode 41. Mm-hmm. Um, that is going to be a, our pre-UX LX show. Yeah. Which will be followed by a lot of episodes the week after that. Yeah, I mean, any of you that's been listening for a while mm. will know that we, we go a little bit crazy when it mm. comes to our birthplace, yes, um, UXLX, exactly. where we 
started the whole UX podcast thing. So our next show, we'll be talking about uh, well, our expectations, expectations, the workshops we've signed up for. And what we're hoping to learn yeah. and get from UX and, I mean, 2013. Probably a, a good time as well to, to collect input from, from you listeners. And is there anything that you're wondering about, if you're not attending, that you'd like us to ask the speakers? Oh, really? any particular speaker you yeah. want us to grab? Exactly. Um, normally, we normally we we're quite good at getting hold of them if we mm-hmm. need to, at least to chat to. Um, and uh, I know we're certainly going to try and grab Luke Rabluski. Uh, he's on. He, yeah, he's yeah. on our stalking list. Yeah, mm. and then I want Sonny Brown as well. Ah, I'm going to our workshop. No, no we've got, oh, now we're doing too much <laughs> of, next, of the next show. We're going to stop. <laughs> Save for uh, two weeks. Also, I'm buying new microphones for next show again. Again, <laughs> and we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Always trying to improve it for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, by all means, if you are listening to our show using uh, uh, iTunes, then why not go in and let us know and give us a review as well? Because that really helps us spread the word. Yeah. That'd be cool. Yeah. People, remember to keep moving. And see you on the other side. You've been listening to UX Podcast with James Royal Lawson and Pear Axeboom. Visit uxpodcast.com for more episodes and to subscribe to the show. UX Podcast, moving the conversation beyond UX.